Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. I thought I heard loons. Did you hear loons? No, that's not the sound they make. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual, as you just heard, is my good friend and co-host Scott Emanway. Say hello, Scott. Hey, what's cracking, Mike B-Boy Brown? Well, you know, my back. (laughs) My (laughs) hips when I stand up because I've got old man hips. It's funny you say that. I was just walking over here and I yawned and I went, oh, my back. It wasn't even an arm yawn. Oh, my. It was just a mouth yawn, and I hurt my back. (laughs) Hashtag old. (laughs) The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Chatty Kathy. Yeah. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Mmm. Yeah. <laughs> Florida. Mm-hmm. Crime Con. May 1st to 3rd, and I'm hoping that it isn't cancelled like South by Southwest. Yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth. It's Holy exactly... Crow. As soon as I read that, I'm like, okay, like this is getting serious. I'm going, regardless. I'm going to Florida. <laughs> so, Mike, you, Mike Con. Yeah. If you are going to Crime Con, use Poutine 2020 when purchasing your tickets at CrimeCon.com mm-hmm. for 10% off your ticket purchase. It helps our show, and it will help you. 10% off is a good thing. Yeah, that's great. That's good savings. And this is like almost two months away. Exactly. Like yeah. Yeah, this Things will, will be fine. It'll all be blown so over. Plenty of people in the Umber Yard, yeah. and guess what? what? You cannot get coronavirus in the Umber Yard. <laughs> Can you get the Budweiser virus? You can't get anything oh, and- other than have a few laughs and uh, and learn a little bit about what other folks are doing. Oh my God, I just reminded, like, I saw somebody post ever since somebody mentioned how, I think it was a meme, ever since somebody mentioned how COVID-19 sounds so similar to, come on, Eileen. Oh no. They can't think, it's like, COVID, Eileen, oh, COVID-19, boy. like oh, that's, boy. you can't hear COVID-19. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, let's get on with this show. The idea for the topic we're covering in this episode came to me while I was listening to an audiobook in our car, and the book is called Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams. Interesting. And it was written by sleep scientist Matthew Walker, PhD, 
<laughs> Dr. Walker is the director of UC Berkeley's Sleep and Neuroimaging Clinic. Sounds legit. According to Goodreads.com, in the book, Walker, quote, reveals his groundbreaking exploration of sleep, explaining how we can harness its transformative power and change our lives for the better. It's legit, like how, like how important sleep is. My whole goddamn life was full of just terrible, terrible sleeps, and it has such an impact. Yeah. You, quote unquote, wake up, and your whole day is just like walking around in fog. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. No, it's not. So get more sleep. There, end of the episode. <laughs> and no. In a chapter on somnambulism. Did you say that again? Somnambulism. Somnambulism. Dr. Walker mentioned this famous precedent-setting and tragic Canadian case. Whoa. I had heard the story before, but I'd forgotten about it. So I came home, started looking into it, and fell down a rabbit hole. Oh, jeez. This was so compelling, I put the case that we'd planned for this week on hold so we could cover this one instead. Yeah. It has become my favorite case to research and write about for a number of reasons. This is so bizarre that we're talking about this. Yeah. And I'm not kidding you. Last night, I was having a chat with a friend who was telling me how... She was concerned because her husband was sleepwalking. Well. <laughs> what well, is very odd. And the next day I come here and we're well, talking. Well, have her listen to this episode, which yeah. drops next, well, which and, drops on Monday. And, 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 and I'll, I'll wait till this is done because I don't want to feed her. <laughs> this is episode 115, Kenneth Parks, the homicidal sleepwalker. Oh, I've heard of some of these. I've heard of these before. What are your thoughts on sleepwalking, Scott? Well, um... My thoughts on it are that it's pretty passive. It's you're just appearing awake, but confused mm -hmm. and like putting your phone in the fridge and stuff like that. But you know, it, it's a passive thing. There's, there's no trauma or, or. Well, we're going to learn some interesting things, I think, in oh, this episode, Scott. Jesus. Oh boy. Uh, there'll be a lot of eye-opening medical evidence as well as other things. And I, I sure learned a lot while I was researching. This. Is this going to make me not want to sleep though? No, no. Okay, okay. It'll make you okay with sleeping. Oh, good, good. According to a Mayo Clinic website article on sleepwalking, also called somnambulism, as we've said before, and I'm not probably not going to say that word too many times because I stumble with it. Somnambulism. No. Sleepwalking usually occurs early in the night, often one or two hours after falling asleep. It's unlikely to occur during naps, so probably it's never going to happen to you. <laughs> A sleepwalking episode can occur rarely or often, and an episode generally lasts several minutes but can last longer. Someone who is sleepwalking may get out of bed and walk around, mm -hmm. sit up in bed, and open his or her eyes, have a glazed, glassy-eyed expression, not respond or communicate with others, be difficult to wake up during an episode, be disoriented or confused for a short time after being awakened, not remember the episode in the morning, have problems functioning during the day because of disturbed sleep, and have sleep terrors in addition to sleepwalking. Hmm. Sleep terrors are horrific, mm -hmm. apparently. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've never had them, but a friend of mine used to have them where he would dream about machinery coming to get him, oh, and he sure. would just lay screaming in the middle of the night. I, I loved how broad, though, sleepwalking can occur rarely or frequently. Yeah. So well, it's like... It's a, just a broad, yeah. a broad spectrum. Sometimes a person who is sleepwalking will do routine activities, such as getting dressed, talking, or eating. Leave the house. 
drive a car. It's terrifying. Engage in unusual behavior such as urinating in a closet. Engage in sexual activity without awareness. What? Get injured, for example, by falling down the stairs or jumping out a window. Oh, God. Become violent during the period of brief confusion immediately after waking or occasionally during sleepwalking. End quote. Jeez. Right? This is serious. It is serious. And it gets quite serious here. While watching Saturday Night Live, 23-year-old Kenneth Parks fell asleep on the couch of his Pickering, Ontario home. His wife and infant daughter were asleep upstairs. In the early morning hours of May 24, 1987, Ken got up off the couch, put on his coat and shoes, grabbed his keys and walked out of the house. Kenneth opened the garage door, got into his car, started it and drove 23 kilometers to the home of his in-laws, Dennis and Barbara Woods, in a townhome in Scarborough. Ken arrived around 2.40 a.m. The trip included a number of stop signs and at least three traffic lights, as well as navigating on and off of the 401, a multi-lane highway. Now everywhere I go, I'm just going to be thinking, is this guy sleepwalking? Is this guy sleepwalking? Ken parked in the underground parking away from other cars. Ken retrieved a tire iron from his car's trunk and used his key to enter the house. Ken then obtained a sharp knife from the kitchen. He made his way to the master bedroom and the massive 249 pound man, who his in-laws referred to as a gentle giant, straddled his father-in-law, Dennis, and strangled him unconscious. Dennis also suffered cuts to his chest and head, but survived the attack. Ken then beat his mother-in-law, Barbara, in the face and head with the tire iron and stabbed her five times with the knife he'd grabbed from the kitchen. Barbara died from her injuries. Back in the kitchen, Kenneth picked up the phone and left it off the hook. The Woods' teenage daughters were screaming, terrified, on the second floor on hearing the commotion. They heard someone run up the stairs, then make grunting noises outside their locked bedroom door. After standing there for some time, Kenneth left the home, taking the kitchen knife with him. Kenneth then drove himself to a nearby police station. He was covered in blood when he walked through the door, that of Dennis and Barbara Woods as well as his own. He was distraught, and according to court documents, among other voluntary statements, he said, quote, Oh my God, I just killed someone. I've just killed two people. I've just killed my mother and father-in-law. I stabbed and beat them to death. It's all my fault. End quote. This is just all so interesting. Right? I mean, if I was an officer, I'm thinking, okay, this guy just did that. He's there. He's lucid. Right. Cops and ambulance were dispatched to the Woods residence where they found a grisly scene. Mrs. Woods was deceased. Mr. Woods was badly injured and semi-conscious and the distraught teenage girls were thankfully otherwise unharmed. Ken was bleeding badly from deep cuts to both his hands and under police escort, was taken to Sunnybrook Medical Center. He didn't even seem to realize he was injured at first. Yeah, I guess it's the stabbing and the blade, your hand slips onto the blade mm-hmm. and stuff. The wounds were so serious that Ken would need surgery to repair the damage. Oh, wow. Wanting to ensure Ken's competence to agree to the surgical procedures, A psychiatrist interviewed him. According to an article on the case by Matt Soniak of mentalfloss.com, quote, The examining psychiatric resident tentatively diagnosed Park's psychogenic amnesia and depression without psychotic features. 
So he was having problems remembering things. Mm -hmm. After awaking from the successful surgical repair of, quote, the severed flexor tendons of his right middle ring and small fingers and his left ring and small fingers, Ken was formally interviewed by police. Ken told the same story time and time again. He was horrified by what he'd done and said he remembered only bits and pieces of what had gone on in the woods home. He wanted to be locked up so he couldn't hurt anyone else. I mean, what's already giving credence to obviously what will be sleepwalking is he he took himself to the police station. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of supporting like, okay, because if he was like, I just want to kill them and get away. Like, yeah. Scooters. He was charged with murder in the death of Barbara Woods and attempted murder for his attack on Dennis Woods. He was taken to the infamous Don Jail in downtown Toronto, and then he was transferred to the Toronto East Detention Center. He barely ate in jail. Racked by guilt and remorse, he rapidly began to lose weight. Kenneth Parks had a great relationship with his in-laws, Dennis mm. and Barbara. Mm. By all accounts, the family loved him, and he loved them. Wow. The Woods approved of Ken's relationship with their daughter, Karen, who, according to a Psychology Today article by Barrett Brogard, DMSCI and PhD, when the couple met, Karen was, quote, a runaway, and he convinced her to return. They continued mm. to be grateful for his intervention. Oh, okay. While Ken admitted to having killed Barbara and almost killing Dennis, the big question was why had why? he done it? Yeah. Ken himself was having trouble answering that question. He was never a violent man prior to this. His wife, Karen, was still sticking by, even though he had just killed her 42-year-old mother. According to an article by Will Chabon in the Leader Post on November 24, 1990, Kenneth Parks was, quote, an amiable young man with a wide circle of friends, a guy so gentle he couldn't bear to take a stray puppy to the Humane Society. It's absolutely, there's no indication that this was a man who was fighting with his in-laws or was a violent per like he just seemingly an all-around good person who has a great relationship with his in-laws and then went and slaughtered one after poring over evidence ordering numerous medical and psychiatric examinations of mr parks and speaking with ken himself Defense attorney Marlies Edward believed she could prove that Ken was not criminally responsible for the slaying of Barbara Woods and for trying to kill her husband, Dennis. She advised Ken to plead not guilty. The scientific evidence showed he had been sleepwalking during the commission of the homicide. From a 2015 paper on neuroethics called While You Were Sleepwalking by Sharia Popat and William Winslade, Quote, the idea that a person can execute a coordinated act of violence in their sleep opposes the stereotypical perception that sleepwalkers are in a mindless daze. Yeah, which is my impression. Performing actions over which they have no control or awareness. End quote. The sleepwalking defense had never been successfully employed in Canada. So that's your taking on a daunting task being that defense lawyer. Right. Edward had her work cut out for her, bringing the world of sleep science and the legal system together on the topics. Mm -hmm. But she was confident she could help to exonerate Kenneth Parks with the aid of the defense experts she'd employed. I'm so curious as to uh, what made her go in that direction. I think it was initial assessments and talking to Kenneth Parks. 
Ken was examined by a psychiatrist during the first day of his incarceration. According to a case report written by R. Broughton, a team of psychiatrists, a psychologist, and a neurologist who examined Ken Parks, quote, he was reported to be in a deep state of emotional despair, bewilderment, anxiety, and fear. Psychometric test results completed this clinical impression. The Beck Depression and Hopelessness Scale recorded raw scores of 45 and 18 for depression and hopelessness, respectively. Mm -hmm. This put Ken approximately within the 99th percentile on each dimension. Hmm. So he was very depressed. Yeah. He hated himself and yeah. he did not want to live. There was no evidence of, quote, dissociative features or for thought disorder, delusions, hallucinations, paranoid ideation, or other suggestions of psychosis. So he was not in a psychotic state. Mm -hmm. The events were not drug-related. His drinking was occasional, and he limited it mostly to beer. He smoked a bit of weed before okay. and had only recently tried cocaine, but had not liked it. Yeah. He dropped acid a few times in school, and that had caused insomnia. So he had discontinued that. Hmm. Ken had been avoiding his in-laws. He was embarrassed and hiding a gambling addiction okay. from Barbara and Dennis. He'd planned to go to their home and reveal how much trouble he'd made for himself on the day of the tragic events. He was going to own up to everything. He'd stolen from work to gamble on the horses, mm -hmm. was fired, charged with theft, and he and Karen had to sell the house. I mean, these are all super, super heavy and difficult, big, big stressors, but still, uh, it, it's still difficult to jump to the understanding of, okay, sure, I can see, mm -hmm. and I can see the stress about having to go and talk to them, but killing them doesn't seem like a solution. So once again, it puts some credence to the actual the defense. defense yeah. yeah. The day before, the events that took place at the Woods Scarborough townhouse were stressful also. Ken had gotten no sleep on Friday night and wanted to play rugby with his friends on Saturday. Okay. Karen was pissed. That was the day Ken was supposed to tell his grandmother about his gambling and legal okay. troubles. So his wife Karen knew. Yeah. Okay. The two argued, but Ken won out promising he'd talk to his grandmother the next day after telling Woods, so he went to play rugby. Mm hmm Somehow he managed to play for the full two hours, but took a mild blow to the right temple during the game. Interesting. He was not knocked out and didn't seem phased by it much at all, but Ken was understandably spent after the game because yeah. he hadn't gotten any sleep the yeah. night before. Ken and Karen argued again before she went to work in an afternoon shift mm -hmm. at about 4.30 p.m. While she was out, Ken ate, put the baby to bed and watched TV until she came home around 10.30. She joined him watching the boob tube. Karen made her way to bed around 12.30 and Ken stayed up to watch SNL and conked out completely around 1.30 a.m. Ken's memory of the events on the early morning of May 24, 1987 were consistently patchy. Ken remembered falling asleep on the couch in his living room. According to R. Broughton's case report, quote, the next thing Ken reports being able to recall after falling asleep was looking down at his mother-in-law's face. Her mouth and eyes were open, and she had a frightened, help me look. He did not recall seeing marks or blood on her face. Next, he recalled hearing the teenagers yelling upstairs. He remembers running upstairs, claiming he was yelling, kids, kids, thinking the girls were in some sort of peril and wanting to let them know that he was there for them. The girls only heard the grunting outside their doors, as we've already mentioned. 
Then he remembers being in his car as he started to drive away. He noticed the knife in his bloody hands and dropped it on the floor of his vehicle. The next thing he remembers is telling the police, I think I have killed some people, my hands. It was only at this time that Ken felt he had any hand pain related to severe and multiple severed flexor tendons. He recalled having gone to the police station for help, but that's it. So a key thing that you mentioned while going over that was how he consistently told the say that consistency will also put weight behind it because it's hard it, it it's hard to lie a, a detailed lie over and, and over it, again it, yeah consistently without some kind of slippage and so the fact that he's able to consistently tell the same story once again puts weight behind the defense ken had a history of sleepwalking it ran in the family according to r broughton's case report quote the family history contained a very high frequency of variety of parasomnias, including sleepwalking, sleep talking, enuresis, and night terrors, as well as unusually deep sleep. Mm -hmm. Do you know what enuresis is? Just sleep farting? No, it's oh. peeing your bed. Oh. Mm. From Matt Soniak's mentalfloss.com article, quote, the specialist's investigation revealed that Parks had been a severe bedwetter for a number of years, a chronic sleep talker, an occasional sleepwalker, and a deep sleeper who was very hard to awaken. Mm. End quote. Ken had other instances of bizarre behavior while sleepwalking, too. His mother reported that when he was a teenager, around 13 or 14, she'd heard a noise in his room and gone to see what was going on. She arrived just in time to see her son putting his legs out of the sixth floor window. Holy crap. She had to act fast and guided him back inside and back to bed. Yikes. Ken's grandfather was a notorious sleepwalker as well. Stories about his nighttime sonambulant episodes include him frying up eggs, onions, and potatoes, but not bothering to eat them before returning back to bed. Isn't that weird? I'm fascinated by this. Most people, the average person calls shenanigans on these kind of, people don't want to believe. And I was kind of worried that you would just be going shenanigans the whole time. Yeah, it, it's easy to do. People, you know, it's the same thing with, when somebody's uh, deemed. Uh, Not criminally responsible. Yeah. Due pe people want to. Disease of the mind. People just want to think, oh, they're just manipulating the system. They're faking it. To yep. not be accountable, but it's not easy to do. No. And uh, very rarely successful. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it's not what people think it is. And so it's fascinating when you start to actually hear mm -hmm. what built the case. Yeah. Ken's most recent serious sleep problems began in December 1986, around the birth of his daughter. So just five months prior. Okay. As with many new parents sleeping with an infant in the house who has not yet developed a normal circadian rhythm can be intermittent at best. Yes. I, yeah. I, so you're the father of two. Yes. Explain uh, how, yeah. how sleepy time was when uh, Bibi and Vi first came home. You know, I feel very, very fortunate that I didn't have to do anything because the wife, no, uh, they, our oh kids were both, <laughs> our kids were honestly like really decent sleepers. Of course, you're going to have some nights where it's just, it feels like all you're doing is getting up and changing a diaper, trying to mm. calm the child down. Like there's definitely those nights, but overall they were, uh, the exception, 
not yeah. the rule. And so we were very fortunate. I guess they got their sleeping from me. Yeah, maybe. You know. For people like Ken Parks, though, who already have underlying sleep issues, yeah. the stress and loss of sleep caused by the need to tend to a newborn can cause even more problems. Yeah, for sure. From Dr. Broughton's case report, Ken, quote, would have occasional totally sleepless nights thinking of his problem and began to experience daytime headaches. These were both sharp, painful headaches attributed to chemicals used at work in the making of blueprints and, quote, pressure headaches, for which he took Tylenol-3. Tylenol number three is Tylenol with a lot of codeine in it. Mm -hmm. And it was a powerful opiate that owned me for a couple of years. Oh, it, really? it definitely yeah. does uh, change your outlook on things. The defense experts studied Kenneth while he slept on a few occasions, while he was in jail awaiting trial. It showed that Kenneth was suffering from insomnia and some other oddities. During one test, Ken was awakened through the night. It was hard to rouse him. He was asked his name and age, which he recalled with ease, but he struggled with his own address. The doctors employed an EEG, electroencephalograph, to measure the activity in Ken's brain as he slept. While epilepsy and sleep apnea were ruled out, there were other issues. According to David Eagleman's book, Incognito, the EEG results, quote, showed a problem in which his brain tried to emerge straight from a sleep stage directly into wakefulness, and it had attempted this hazardous transition 10 to 20 times per night. Holy shit. Right. Barrett Brogard's Psychology Today article described the results as, quote, some abnormal brain activity during deep sleep, periods of partial awakenings, which is indicative of parasomnia. Hmm, so some more credence. Exactly. As there's no known way to fake EEG results yeah, yeah. that I could find anyway, or that any of these scientists mentioned, this bodes well for his defense. The science backing Kenneth Park's defense was strong, but was it strong enough to overcome what the Crown was presenting? And we're going to hear that mm. after we take a break. And we're back. So thoughts so far, Scott? Yeah, um, I'm really, I don't want to say on his side, not that you have to pick a side, but I'm, I, I'm very much supporting what I'm hearing from the defense so far. It seems very uh, plausible, which, yeah, if you read the headline to this kind of a story, most people's reaction is going to be, it's quackery. Don't fall for this shit. But no, I'm absolutely understanding. Yeah, I see why the de defense is going in this direction. Kenneth James Park did have more than his own share of dark battles, some a little more serious than those of the average bear. Mm. Prosecutors were going to hang their hat on those concerning things as they formed their basis of their case against Ken. Ken would undergo two trials, first for the second-degree murder of Barbara Ann Woods, later he would face the charge of attempted murder against Dennis Woods. Yep. Why do you think they did that? I don't know. Um, probably because they feel one is more of a lock than the other. Here's what I'm thinking. And this is just 100% speculation. And nobody ever gave the reasoning why that I could okay. find. Yeah, because it's not common. But what I think is perhaps the prosecution thought if we lose the first case, yeah. we may win the second one. Yeah. If we lose that first case because there's a precedent set, yeah. we might be able to upset that precedent with a second jury or a second trial. Yeah. So yeah. then they could appeal that decision 
and in the end get two convictions instead of one. That's a fascinating, yeah. Uh, it could happen. It makes some sense for sure. That's an absolute possible reason. Ken's life leading up to the events of May 24th, 1987 hadn't been an easy ride. When he was four years old, his father abandoned the family. Oh, yikes. His relationships with father figures were strained. He was distant with his stepfather, and his natural father was barely in his life at all after that. Mm. To remain at his high school, Ken had moved in with his grandparents when his mom and stepfather moved his brothers and half-sister to another city. Mm -hmm. Ken left school to work after the 11th grade. And for those unfamiliar, there was a 13th grade in secondary schools within Ontario's school system at the time. Yeah. So Ken had left two years prior to his graduation. Ken and Karen married when Ken was 21 years old. God, that's still so young. Ken Parks had quickly developed the gambling problem he couldn't quite lick. Mm. And it was just in that last year. He loved to bet on horses, and one win got him hooked. According to R. Broughton's case report, quote, Within a five-week period, he went from betting a few dollars on thoroughbreds to several hundreds of dollars on trotters and occasionally played them for even higher odds. To cover his heavy losses, he took funds from the family savings, then began to embezzle at work. <sighs> Hiding these problems from his wife placed a severe stress on the marriage. There were also major strains at work in covering up the thefts. Yeah, the, the stress involved in all of that would be heavy. Karen, Ken's wife, and his co-workers were shocked when in March of 1987, his employer at the electronics company discovered he'd been embezzling money from them to gamble. At least $32,000 worth. That's a substantial amount. This was when he was let go and charged. Yeah. And Ken was not only using the company's money or his own or the family's, he'd even forged Karen's signature at least twice to feed the gambling monkey on his back. Yeah, a lot of stress. Self-created, self-induced stress. Yeah. But a lot of stress nonetheless. Ken was attending recovery meetings to try and stop gambling. Okay. But by this time, he had gotten himself into a lot of hot water, and he and his wife were fighting about money all the time. I bet. Ken was out on bail at the time when he attacked Barbara and Dennis, bail for the theft charge. Yeah. Perhaps his motive could have been inheritance-related. Okay, I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, that's a very, very common reason for murder. And that's just an opinion, like yep. nobody knows, you know, yep. that's just throwing it out there. Yep, for sure. On May 26, 1988, in an Ottawa Citizen article, the Crown Prosecutor Kathy Mocha said that the defense team claims that Ken Parks did not know what he was doing were, quote, ludicrous, and that acquitting him would be, quote, an affront to the community's sense of justice, end quote. How could he have done such complex tasks? L legit question. Yeah. Science apparently had the answers to that. <laughs> From a Psychology Today article by Barrett Brogard. Who listens to science nowadays? The sleepwalker's brain processes visual and auditory stimuli from his surrounding, but the processing of these sensory stimuli does not give rise to stable neuron activity. Because of this, the brain signals are not as strong as during waking states. This is why people normally can only complete tasks they have done hundreds of times before. Ken Parks had driven that route to the woods mm -hmm, home mm -hmm. many, many times. So there was a lot of smart words in there. <laughs> uh, and so my Cole's notes are that 
Essentially, the scientist said, yeah, it's possible. Psychiatrist Dr. Ronald Frederick Billings was one of the experts to testify for the defense at Ken's first trial. His testimony was powerful. Mm -hmm. Ken's attorneys asked, quote, assuming for a moment that Mr. Parks caused the death of Barbara Woods, did you, sir, reach an opinion as to his condition at the time he caused that death? Mm -hmm. And Billings answered, yes. My opinion is he did it during a sleepwalking episode. Okay. Billings went on to testify that it was his expert opinion that Ken Parks was not suffering from any mental illness on May 24, 1987. He also said that sleepwalking was not a part of any mental illness or disease of the mind. All the other defense experts concurred on these findings. The next question that Billings was asked was pointed, quote, is there any evidence that a person could formulate a plan while they were awake and then in some way ensure that they carry it out in their sleep? Good question. <laughs> it right? is. Billings' answer, paraphrased, goes as follows. No, absolutely not. No. Probably the most striking feature of what we know of what goes on in the mind during sleep is that it's very independent of waking mentation in terms of its objectives and so forth. There is a lack of control of directing our minds in sleep compared to wakefulness. In the waking state, of course, we often voluntarily plan things that we call volition. We decide to do this as opposed to that, and there is no evidence that this occurs during the sleepwalking episode. In other words, had Ken Parks planned a crime while awake? And then committed it while... Yeah, there was no way he could have consciously directed himself yeah. to commit that. Yeah. Billings said that Ken would not have been able to form intent nor would he have been able to stop himself from carrying out the acts he was accused of. The doctor said he had only dealt with as many as six other cases involving violence and sleepwalking in his many years of practice and only three over the last five years. It's that rare. Yeah, yeah. When asked whether there was a possibility Ken Parks would do this again, the doctor said it was improbable and that the chances of a recurrence were, quote, not statistically significant. That's great, but I don't think it would give me any comfort sleeping next to him. The doctor said that the treatment for these kinds of parasomnia is simple. Because <laughs> I knew that was going to be the next question. Quote, going to bed at a regular hour, getting sufficient sleep, having the availability of sufficient exercise, and so on, that you are tired enough at the end of the day that your body wants to go to sleep. Avoiding getting overweight and obese, and these things that could impair sleep. Avoiding alcohol. So some simple things. Some things I've avoided my whole life. Exercise. <laughs> well, a lot of those, yeah. From David Eagleman's book, Incognito, quote, As with Tourette's sufferers, those subject to psychogenic disorders and the split brain patients, Kenneth's case illustrates that mm. high-level behaviors can happen in the absence of free will. Mm. Like your heartbeat, breathing, blinking, and swallowing, even your mental machinery can run on autopilot. Tourette's is a great comparison. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never thought of the two, but uh, it's a great comparison because, yeah, you, you're not wanting to s continually swear on the bus. No. Uh, I do. Well, some but, people uh, might, yeah. actually. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it, it's involuntary. The jury acquitted Kenneth James Park of the second-degree murder of Barbara Ann Woods in May of 1988. Mm-hmm. Ken was also acquitted of the attempted murder of Dennis Woods, who came to forgive him over time. Acquitted uh, on both. Ken, okay. The Crown appealed the precedent-setting findings, but in 1990, the Supreme Court of Canada upheld the decision, saying, quote, 
it supports the proposition that sleepwalking is a form of non-insane automatism. Holy crap. The Free Legal Dictionary by Fallex defines legal defines automatism as quote an involuntary act such as sleepwalking that is performed in a state of unconsciousness the subject does not act voluntarily and is not fully aware of his or her actions while in the state of automatism now here's a question is it possible for somebody to have been sleepwalking for 46 years no because it's um, oh, okay. something tells so me like so i'm actually accountable you. for yeah, everything that's happened there have been other instances, but actual sleepwalking homicide is extremely rare. Yeah. Exceedingly so. <laughs> yeah. Just Google homicidal sleepwalking and you're down the rabbit hole that I just emerged from. It's pretty fascinating. For centuries, the defense of sleepwalking has been often unsuccessfully mm -hmm. attempted as a defense for various I crimes. I would imagine, yeah. It was not until Kenneth Park's case that the science had finally caught up to the point where when it actually is warranted it can be successfully employed. Mm -hmm. Lady Macbeth was said to be sleepwalking when she gave her famous speech in Act 5, Scene 1 of the Scottish play, when she cried out guiltily dreaming of blood on her hands. Out, damned spot, out, I say. Well. I brought some Shakespeare. You did? How, how deep? Oh, and here's one that's not quite as deep, but it's pretty <laughs> awesome. An Ottawa Citizen article about the case in 1988 brilliantly quoted the Robert Palmer hit Addicted to Love. Yeah. It said, quote, your lights are on, but you're not home. Your will is not your own. End quote. You might as well face it. You're addicted to You're sleepwalking. <laughs> While Ken Parks was not criminally liable for the events, perhaps out of fear of a recurrence or ignorance, some members of the community have not been so understanding and have continued to shun him. Even years later, yeah. many academic papers have been written on this case. A few will help listeners having trouble with the moral responsibility aspects. Yes, Ken Parks did kill Barbara Woods, but no, it was not his, quote, fault in the end, and blaming him serves no purpose. The actions he undertook that night were not ones that he would have committed if wide awake with all his faculties intact. Yeah, yeah, this is true. In 2006, Ken Parks, by that time now a father of six, wow. ran for trustee of the Durham School Board. Wow. There had been no recurrences of violence that we know of while sleepwalking or awake, but people had not forgotten what had gone on almost mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Yep. A few were not at all forgiving. From a city news report on Ken's bid for a seat on the board, quote, I'm a professor at the university and I teach in education and my first concern would be a lack of ethics and a lack of professionalism on somebody who is representing our school board, Professor Anne Lesage said. Another, said, another person said, quote, sleepwalking, perhaps a medical thing, but not the embezzlement, civil servant Alan McDonald said. Parks told the National Post, quote, the murder has nothing to do with anything now. It was a medical issue, and I'm practicing good sleep hygiene now, end quote. I couldn't find anything uh, indicating whether Ken Parks won or lost the seat, but I think it's safe to assume that he didn't win yeah, yeah. with a national paper reporting on his past. Well, and you know what? What that second individual, the, yeah, the embezzlement mm -hmm. would be uh, if I had to make a vote, if I were somebody to But we to don't know if he, did he pay the money back or any of that kind well, of stuff. But still the fact that he did it. The yeah, fact that he did embezzle, stole money from his place, I, I don't. I wouldn't feel comfortable with him 
in that role. Uh, that I, I could see as being something that would upset me. Yeah, fair enough. Murder removed from situation. And that's it for this week's case. Oh, that's a fascinating one. Yeah, there's a. We're going to talk a little bit more about sleep stuff because oh. sleep science is kind of interesting to me. It's a fascinating. And here's why. Oh. I have a history myself of mild sleepwalking, you know, out into the living room from my bedroom when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I had unremembered conversations with mom and dad. I've peed in weird places, mm -hmm. including the bathtub in a low windowsill. Well, the bathtub, at least that's an easy one to clean. Um, my parents reported me sitting up while I was asleep in a shared hotel room when we were out on a trip one time. And I screamed out, they're going to get us. Oh, God. And then I just laid right back down and went back <laughs> oh, to sleep. Oh, my God. That would be terrifying. I'm picturing one of my kids just sound asleep sitting up. They're going to kill us. Yeah. Back then, like, oh, oh, what? I recently went through my own serious issues with problems related to sleep. Yeah, you posted photos of you all hooked up to machines. Exactly. Around a year after we started doing this podcast, I began doing weird things in my sleep. My dreams were vivid and really bizarre. I would laugh out loud or have odd one-sided conversations with unseen people while asleep. Mm, comfort. Carol ha heard many of these and often it would be just me having a laugh about something. I was no she said I never really sounded upset or stressed out. I was just, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'd wake up reaching for something that wasn't there. So I was hallucinating that something was in front of me and I would be reaching for it like, oh yeah, yeah, it was really bizarre. Wow. I was falling dead asleep uh, through the day, even just when sitting down. I would just sit down and pff, out I would go. It was really strange. So I went to the doctor and got a referral to the sleep clinic. I spent the night there. You mentioned I was yep. wired up to all kinds of sensors and machines. You were very uh, robotic. <laughs> Apparently, I was having sleep apnea events at least 100 times an hour. That sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> <laughs> It is a lot. It's anything, they were anything a hundred times an hour. They were extremely concerned for me. Uh-huh. So that's why I was prescribed a CPAP machine that seemed to have helped a lot. Yeah. And I've been told I need to lose weight and exercise more regularly. And those things are really hard. So I'll Pretty probably much, just yeah. get to those. <laughs> Pretty much what they told, what they said to you. Should yeah, do exactly. Yeah. So wow. if you want to learn more about healthy sleep for healthy Canadians... Check out the Canadian Sleep Society at css-cscs.ca. It's a lot of C's and dots. Lots of C's and dots. Yeah. Before we get to our voicemails and Patreon, we have a promo this week. Oh, do we? We do. It's from a podcast called Drinking and Screaming, <laughs> which is a horror movie reviews and cocktails podcast run by a couple of friends of ours here in Vancouver. We met them at the Fan Expo. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, give them a listen. Here is their promo. Hey, I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And together we host Drinking and Screaming. We're a new horror discussion podcast based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, where each episode we pair a new cocktail with our movie of the week. For instance, I'm pairing this ad with just a shot of tequila. You know, because most ads are horrible. With Drinking and Screaming, you'll find yourself pulled into a new horror film to discuss and a new cocktail to try every week. Every episode is laced with great soundtracks, theme breakdowns, production trivia, Char's bad drinks, and so much more. What? I said clips from the movie. New episodes every week. Join in on the spoops. Drinking and screaming wherever podcasts are found. I give this ad a 5 out of 10. You know, we don't rate the movies. 5 out of 10. <laughs> hmm. 
So there you go. Check them out. You, Give them a listen. You had me at a pipe organ. Yeah, you, just search yeah. for drinking and screaming in your podcast app. That sounds fun. It, not it the does. drinking and screaming, a little <laughs> screaming, yeah, but not the drink. But I mean, it just sounds like a fun podcast. It does. Uh, time for voicemails. Yeah. You can leave us one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. That's one eight seven seven Dark Putin. Yeah. Because yeah, if your call really stands out, you might get to hear it on our show. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't, you, you won't. You, you probably will hear it anyway. <laughs> no, I don't know. Hi, Mike and Scott. It's uh, Jeanette calling from Winnipeg. Just listened to your uh, podcast on um, Ogopogo. Loved it. Thought everything, everyone, thought every Canadian knew about Ogopogo, but maybe just those who love sea monsters and myths like that. was wondering if you guys knew about the uh, lake monster here in Manitoba called Manipogo. I don't know, maybe Ogopogo's cousin. Not really sure. A um, couple of sightings here too, and lots of uh, stories about the uh, the lake monster, but not nearly as well known as Ogopogo. So just wanted to let you know that uh, Ogopogo has some cousins out here, and I uh, love your show. Look forward to it every week. Shout out to my friend Rachel, who uh, showed me your show, and I've been loving it. Go shit in a hat. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, thank, thanks, Rachel. Manapogo, I, I had not. Learned, I learned a few things there. There are lakes in Winnipeg. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, Isn't it called the uh, the province of lakes or yeah, the city of lakes? I'm just, because it's a, it's yeah. I'm just trying to be funny. But, yeah, and and Manapogo. from there? Your my dad? dad is from Winnipeg. Okay. Yeah, I've, been, I've actually been in Winnipeg a lot. Yeah, when Manapogo. Manapogo. Yeah, Manapogo. I'd vote for him. There you go. Yeah. Manabout Pogo? I don't know. <laughs> who's who's running for mayor this year? Manapogo. Here's a local one. Oh. Oh, yeah. oh hi guys. My name's Stephanie. I live in Coquitlam near Vancouver. Um, I'm a really big fan of your show. I listen to tons of uh, true crime, and I'm pretty picky about it. So, um, one of your show is one of my favorites. Um, I was having a hard time coming up with any suggestions for topics because you cover all the big ones. I have an obscure one that would be worth looking into. Um, On the Sunshine Coast back in, I think it was the 70s, there was a woman who went missing and there was a lot of rumors swirling around that her partner might have buried her on an island. Um, I don't really know a lot about the names or anything like that, but there's a book on it that's available on Amazon. The author withdrew it and then changed it to fiction, but it's still out there. So something to look into in the future. Thanks for your show. Love you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Stephanie. I really wish I knew the title of the book. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. So if you want to like maybe email me at darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com, if you know the title, that would be fantastic. Yeah. But uh, Interesting that it had to be removed. Well, probably it was it ac- accusatorial. Probably, yeah. yeah, for legal reasons. Oh, yeah. uh, no, no, that was fiction. Fiction, no. Yeah, oh, I'll put it in the wrong category. <laughs> well, this one looks like it's from Toronto on Terrible. Toronto. Toronto. Let's try something from Toronto. Hi, Megan Scott. This is Mira from Ontario. I just wanted to call you guys and let you know how thankful I am and how thankful we all are in the Poutine Yumber Yard. Just how respectful you guys are for the victims. A lot of podcasts don't nearly give as much respect as you do for the families and kind of make it sensational about who was the murderer or what happened. And you guys really appreciate and take time for the victims. So I just wanted to thank you for that. 
I also want to thank you so much for being so inspirational. I'm studying forensic psychology, and a lot of it is just keep pushing forward, and you guys give me so much motivation because you're so interested and passionate about these cases, and it really makes me motivated to really study them and understand why they happen. So I'm really thankful to you guys, and you've really helped me in a lot of dark places. So thank you so much. Have a good week. That's really, really nice. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Ontario. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you for uh, mentioning um, not being, sen- we're not, not sensationalizing. Yeah, because some, some people think we're not sensational enough. <laughs> <laughs> but we really try, like, we really want it to be the story that tells uh, the story. We, like, we, do, we don't wanna... you want to. We want to be the podcast that tells the story. Well, yeah, but I want to, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's, it's, I don't know what you're trying to say either. <laughs> essentially, yeah, we a, a good point or good uh, case that we the Alyssa Lamb. Yeah, we didn't want to sensationalize the story to try to get more likes or hits or listens. We wanted to just tell the story. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, it's it's good to hear that that's noticed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so there, that eventually made sense. It eventually made a little <laughs> bit of sense. I'll try to not do it again. Well, those were some great voicemails. I Once again, I love them. People, they're still representing uh, positivity. Don't forget one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven dark button. Yeah, you can uh, find that phone number on the website too. It's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. It's time for some shout outs oh, yes. to our Patreon folks. And uh, Scott is getting his tools ready. My brain. <laughs> yeah, because that works. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, first up we have Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, what's, what's, where's Cheryl from? Well, she's, is she like Cher with an L? It's quite, quite much. Or a YL, I guess, Cher, YL. She's from uh, Daily Waters in Australia. Oh, that's, that's a neat place. Yeah, some say Daily Waters, but, you know, I say Daily. Huh. Just because I prefer the way I say it. That's kind of fun. Yep, yep, yeah. Uh, And she is a buffalo tamer. A buffalo tamer? Yeah. Yeah, it's a that's a dangerous job. I don't know if you've I don't know if you know about buffaloes, Mike, but they're huge. Now here's someone they've been a, a patron before, I believe. Oh, uh, Steph Bishop. Uh, yeah, I thought they were a, a patron before, but um, looks I, like uh, Steph Bishop is back as a patron. So thanks, re, Steph. Re Patreon. Just re upped. Yeah. Thank well, you so much. Really, really appreciate. Steph is great people. Uh, next up, we have Cynthia Lee from mm-hmm. Dally City, California. Never Much heard like of it. Dally wow. uh, Lake in uh, Australia, Waters. I guess. Waters. Waters. Yeah. Okay. Jesus. Well, yeah. Uh, next, we have, ooh, Ixel Michelle. Whoa. But uh, there's another name here Michelle Madrano, which makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And she's from Toronto. Trana. Ontario. Yep, Trana. Trana. And, oh, oh, ooh, interesting. Oh, what, what's happening? Christy Brewer. Okay. And Christy yeah. is from Zealand, New Brunswick. Wait a minute, there's a Zealand? I guess so. No. I didn't, I, well, it, they've already used the new yeah. in New Brunswick. <laughs> I, was, I, was so trying to, just, I was trying to find a way to work that in. It's just Zealand. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting, right? Maybe You think maybe they go with Old Zealand or something. It could be Old Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Or Current Zealand. (laughs) 
Well, it could be. Yeah, current Zealand. Yeah. Current Zealand. Isn't that Martin's last name? What? No, that's Encurrent Ziza. Oh, well, it was, mm. yeah. Easy, easy to mistake. <laughs> oh, well. Now, let's just see. Let's see if we got any uh, donut money this this week. <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see if we got some donut money. Mm. Go, I go nuts for donuts. Yes, we got some donut money. And look, first up, we got some from Jocelyn Loken in Athabasca. Alberta. Whoa. And she says, Collington is only about 10 minutes from Athabasca in northern Alberta. It has a population of 220 people. Crazy. It's lovely to live there, but I am in the big town of Athabasca with over 7,000 people now. So she said she was living in Collington before. So she emailed to correct that. Mm. Very much enjoy your po podcast. You both have such nice voices. I like the respect you have for crimes. I have a morbid curiosity about them, but I also don't want to be a jerk. Well, good for you, yeah, I can, Jocelyn. I, I can relate to that. What? Not wanting to be a jerk? Well, having you having that a sometime. having a morbid curiosity, but not like I. There's a big part of me that always wants to know the gory details of everything, but then I'm also like, yeah, you know, though, like, yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Well, so thank you, Jocelyn, very much. Many and thanks. thank you to all our other patrons. Past and, and present. Past and present. And our other good eggs who sent us some donut money. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate that. And also during during our live show to the people who came up and gave me money directly. <laughs> <laughs> Big thank you to them. Right? Some people actually did do that. I know. I wasn't. I, that I, was kind of funny. I said to do it, but I didn't think people would. They actually did that. Yeah. Yep. They just came and handed you money directly. And I took it. If you want to help support the show, don't give it to Scott directly. <laughs> you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine, or for one-time support, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. You can even easily rate us on podchaser.com. I've reminded you that it's like IMDb for podcasts. Was that, I thought it was IMDb. IMDb. Okay. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. I have to get on uh, updating that. Please give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.